you'll be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We'll start at the beginning of the chapter, Luke 17, verses 1 through 10 this morning. Wonderful. Having found that, let's uh, stand together for the reading of God's Word. Let me read from God's Word from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Would you hear it uh, as God's holy word? And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. God, would you bless and add your understanding to the reading and now preaching of your holy word? Would you sharpen it as you promised to do, that it would cut to the heart? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you could have or do this one thing everything would change. Isn't that every advertisement right now? Gone are the days when an advertisement can simply be, you know, this works better than the competitor. You know, that was all that was needed. Now, if something's going to appeal to you, it it starts, you know, with a story. uh, And you see people sort of in real life, usually doing nothing that has anything to do with the product. Uh, And they say, you know, do you want to help the world? Do you want to change your entire life? All it would take. Imagine if you had this bar of soap. And you're, you're thinking, I, I would have been sold if you just said, this soap works really well. <laughs> uh, but, but yet everything sort of sells like that, right? So we're suspicious when someone stands up and says, like I'm about to do, if we would do this one thing, it could change everything. And what is that one thing? What does Jesus say in this passage? And what's the main point of this message? But that you must forgive. You must forgive one another. That's what Jesus has to say for us this morning. Some passages are difficult because they're hard to understand, and some passages are difficult because they're hard to apply. Which one do you think this one might be? (laughs) You must forgive. What would happen if more and more we became a community that was quick to forgive one another? What would that do among us, in our own hearts, to each other? And what would that do for a watching world 
that would look in and say, what is going on in that place? We don't see this anywhere else. You must forgive. We're going to look at five points from the text this morning uh, to convince you, to convince you that you must forgive. In some ways, each point will deal with somewhat of an objection in our own hearts, whether we're willing to say it or not, that leads us to unforgiveness. And the first is this, if the main point is you must forgive, point number one is that forgiveness is not weak. Forgiveness is not weak. Uh, Often we sort of think that way. You know, I don't want to just shallowly forgive somebody, right? Because sin is serious. I've truly been hurt. So it, it feels fake to simply just sort of forgive. Let's look at verses one and two again. Verses 1 and 2, I think, answer this objection, and they remind us that sin is deadly serious, and Jesus takes it that way. He says, temptations to sin are sure to come, right? It's going to happen. Stumbling blocks will happen. Temptations will happen. But woe to the one through whom they come. So temptations are sure to come, but woe to the person who's causing other people to sin, Right? Not even just themselves, but causing others to sin or causing them to stumble. You see, Jesus takes sin very seriously. Verse 2, how seriously, Jesus? It would be better for him, that is the person who is causing other people to sin, that a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. Right, A, a, a millstone you know, used for grinding grain, sort of like a, a, a giant stone donut, as it were, uh, where the rope would come through. Imagine that being tied around your neck and being tossed into the sea. doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are. <laughs> uh, this is deadly, right? And he says that would be better, that would be a better fate <laughs> than, than the one that should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, when Jesus says little ones, I think he could be referring to children especially, uh, but this term also is used of believers in general as children of God. I think it's a, a both and. Or how much more if someone's causing literal little ones to sin, let alone believers in general. And so true forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus says you must forgive, takes sin very seriously. Jesus starts here before he says you must forgive. He says sin is this serious that it leads to death, that the person who is unrepentant and they're causing other people to sin, the millstone would seem like nothing compared to an eternity of punishment. We take sin seriously. Um, Forgiveness is not weak. It actually shows strength. Uh, I know for my wife Amy and I, we had to learn this early in our marriage. We you realize that certain patterns you learn just from your parents, from your friends. And we realized when we uh, sinned against one another and, and we came together and we were able to admit that, and uh, when it was time to offer forgiveness, we both defaulted not to say, I forgive you, but we said, it's, it's okay. And, and there's a good heart. I mean, we mean it's okay now. So in, in one sense, it's recovered. But uh, we started to learn it was much harder to say, I forgive you. Uh, Because it's okay says, it's okay. I forgive you says, it's not okay, but I forgive you. Uh, It's not okay, but it's over now. It's dealt with. Jesus died for that sin, and I forgive you. Do you see the difference? True forgiveness takes sin seriously. It is not weak, but it's strong. Christian, 
You must forgive. You must forgive. Number two, forgiveness is not harsh. It's not harsh. Forgiveness is not weak. So on the, on the one hand, it's not weak. It's not shallow. It's also not a weapon. It's also not harsh. And the process that leads to forgiveness is not meant to be harsh, but loving. Let's look at what Jesus says. He has just shown how serious sin is. And so he says in verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. Keep watch on yourselves. Look out. <laughs> be aware. And I think that links to verses 1 and 2. Sin is this serious, so watch out for your own heart and your own sin. But it links right into the next section. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Right? But what's the attitude of the Christian who is willing to go up to a brother and sister in love and say, you know, I, I think whether you've, especially if they've sinned against you, or if you think there's some serious sin in their life, you need to approach them lovingly. And you approach them as one, verse 3, who is first paying attention to yourself. Paying attention to yourself. And in, in, in the parallel Matthew passage, uh, and earlier in Luke as well, in Luke 6, uh, you know, he says, be, be, before you go and take the speck out of your brother's eye, what do you have to take out of your own eye? Uh, the log. Imagine a log you know, sticking out of your eye. And yet we don't see it, uh, but we're really quick to see the speck in the, in the other person's eye. And, and notice that even that analogy Jesus gives is neither weak nor harsh. Uh, it, it's not weak because it doesn't say, don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye. You know, that's judgmental. Just deal with what's in your own eye. No, it says first, deal with the log in your own eye. Then you can see clearly, and you can actually go and help your brother or sister in their sin. That's neither weak nor harsh. And so even this word rebuke, which is a strong word, to admonish somebody, to challenge them with an eye toward stopping whatever the behavior is that's going on. You approach them as one who takes sin seriously. You love them very seriously. And so you go and rebuke them and call them out on it. Usually one-on-one, depending on the relationship and if you might need more help to come in. And, And look at what it says. If he repents... If he turns, if he, had, if he admits, I was wrong, I sinned, I am committing to turning the other way, repent is to turn a 180. If he repents, then forgive him. Then forgive him. And so this is really the, if you went to Matthew 18, which we might look at in a moment, that's the whole process of rebuking someone is so that you would win your brother back. So it's, it, it, it's much more like pulling someone back from a ledge than berating them for being on the edge of the ledge, right? So, you know, if your brother or sister is here dangerously at the edge of sin, uh, it's not as if you come up to them and kind of lean in and say, what are you doing on the edge? <laughs> like, why are you here? No, you, you grab them lovingly and you pull them back. And that's the goal. The goal isn't that you could feel really good because, man, you saw it. <laughs> and you've never been on that ledge. no. Often it's because you've been on that ledge and you, and you pull them back in Christian love. Forgiveness is not weak. Forgiveness is not harsh. Christian, you must forgive one another. And by the way, throughout the rest of this short sermon, if, if there is a name that comes to mind, if the Holy Spirit brings a name to your mind of someone you need to forgive, would you write it on your bulletin? Even if you have to tune out for me for two seconds, write it down. 
Later in the service, we'll have a prayer of commitment and what it looks like to seek that person out. Christian, you must forgive. Number three, forgiveness is not stingy. Forgiveness is not stingy. What does it say in verse 4? Or starting in verse 3 again, if, if, uh, if he repents, forgive him. If this, then that. Verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, uh, then you must forgive him. Seven times. Can you imagine? Maybe you don't have to imagine someone sinning against you seven times in one day. Come on, there's not even that many hours in the day. (laughs) And they sin against you. But if they repent, if they truly repent, you need to forgive them. And if seven sounds like a lot, why don't we turn to Matthew 18 for just a moment? I think it's such an important parallel passage. If you look with me in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21... Here, Peter comes up to ask a question about about forgiveness. Uh, Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations, 70 times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had until payment was made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And you remember the rest of the parable. He forgives the servant. But then the servant goes and, 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 and tries to enact a debt on a fellow servant and doesn't forgive them. And we see the, 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 the discontinuity here in this parallel. But what does Peter ask? You know, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? And that's usually how we ask it. You know, when do I have to forgive? <laughs> Is it seven times? Some of my notes said that the Pharisees perhaps taught three times. You know, forgive three times and then all bets are off, right? And Jesus says, he, he, he might as well have said, you know, uh, times infinity, right? We, we say that sometimes, uh, I promise, times infinity. Jesus might as well have said that. That's the point. The point isn't at the eighth time, all bets are off. No, it's it, as long as he or she is repentant, you need to forgive them. You must forgive them. Now, How do we square this with our experience that someone can say the words, I repent, and then in the next breath or the next moment, they can go and keep gossiping about you? So, Or someone can ask forgiveness, but they have done and continue to do something horrific to you, whether physically or otherwise. Is Jesus saying that... It's as simple as that. If they say the words, forgive me, you forgive them. And that's sort of the end of the story of, of, of whatever that relational strife or whatever that broken trust or whatever that abuse. Does Jesus mean 
by saying you must forgive, uh, you must be trampled. Uh, you must have no boundaries when it comes to your relationships. No, I, I don't think he is. Uh, a professor of mine tells the story. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's reformed, but he's an Anglican uh, uh, minister, and so they actually practice something that we don't, which is private confession. Uh, you've maybe seen in the movies as, as Catholics uh, do that, or you, you grew up uh, with that practice. And so uh, someone will go to the pastor and confess, and it's extremely confidential, right? Uh, but a, a man came in and, and confessed to uh, my professor uh, some pretty horrific abuse uh, that he was perpetrating towards somebody. And, um, and, and my professor uh, looked them in the eye and said, friend, let me first say, if you're repenting, you unequivocally, you have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. If you are trusting in him, he died for this sin. And come with me to the police station because you're going to turn yourself in. Do you see how it's both? There's things we can do that continue to have earthly consequences. There's trust that can be broken that needs to be rebuilt. But that doesn't negate the need to forgive someone who is asking for forgiveness. Repentance bears out in fruit, surely, but when someone comes to you and says, I am turning from this, do you forgive me? We offer forgiveness. Again, that's not weak. It doesn't just say it's okay. It's willing to have boundaries and whatever's needed for safety or otherwise, but it's also willing to look to the cross of Jesus and say, if, if Jesus is your Savior and he's my Savior, if he forgave you, then I must forgive you. And I offer that to you now. Forgiveness is not stingy. It's not limited. Number four, forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness is not easy. If we were in a different tradition, there'd be a lot of amens on that one, right? Verse five and six, the apostle said to, our, to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, it's interesting, verses 5 and 6 and then 7 through 10, in one sense, could have been their own sermons, and they could apply to many things, right? Anything Jesus is commanding us to do might have caused the apostles to say, oh, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> we need an increase in faith because this is not easy. Uh, but here we're going to apply it immediately to Jesus' teaching that he just gave. You must forgive. And I, I think the apostles sense their need. We need more faith <laughs> if, if we're going to forgive like this, not just three times, not just four times. And so Jesus gives one of his you know, famous, you know, if you had even the, the grain of faith, a little seed of faith, you could do this impossible thing, uh, telling a tree to be uprooted and be planted in the sea. It, it, it's meant to be a ridiculous example, something that doesn't happen, right? Uh, so, he, so he basically says, here is this impossible thing, and if you even have a little bit of faith, because who's the object of your faith? It's me. And I can do all things and if uprooting a tree seems difficult at just the word of your command, how about forgiving someone who's truly hurt you? What's harder? And Jesus says, if you even have the grain 
the seed of faith. It's, it, it's as if when, when two people come together, I mean, Jesus has been healing people throughout the gospel, and he'll often say, your faith has made you well. When I've been able to sit in on, on beautiful reconciliation uh, processes, when, when uh, sometimes there's even a physical embrace at the end, people have shared what's been hard for them, have shared where they've been hurt, They've offered forgiveness to one another, and they often end in an embrace. And it's as if Jesus says in the plural, your faith, both of your faith, has made you well. It's healed this relationship as you've offered forgiveness to one another. Truly offered it. It's not easy, but it's what we're called to do. It's like an etch-a-sketch. Did you ever have one of those? Uh, you know, you draw with the knobs, um, and I think there's something with magnets and aluminum, and that's how you get the lines on it. Uh, and then what do you do to erase it? Uh, you shake it up, right? And it's very satisfying. Um, and, when you, and when you shake it up, uh, then it's gone. That's it. Uh, there's no trace left um, of, of it. And forgiveness is like that, or it should be. Uh, when we say, I forgive you, it's like we're shaking it up. <laughs> it's gone, uh, unlike, uh, often we actually approach it more like an like a old whiteboard, you know, where, you know, when you write on it, it kind of like screeches, and then when you go to erase it, it sort of erases. Um, and no matter what you do, it doesn't come off, and so you could still see all the lines. So you say, I forgive you, and you just kind of keep looking back, and you could just see the list still there. And, and so often we treat it that way, but if... Christ meant what he said, if from the cross when he said, it is finished in regard to our sin, and it's not easy, but we need to offer that kind of forgiveness to one another, to one another. What about when Jesus says, if they repent, forgive them, what about someone who isn't willing to repent? You know, you come to them and, and, and let them know their sin, especially against you, and they say, I, I see nothing wrong here. I'd do it again. You're the one. You've been sinning against me. What do we do then? Matthew 18 helps us, and, and Luke isn't dealing with that question as much here, but it, 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 there is a process of, of going to your brother, and if they don't listen to you, bringing someone else with you. One, to make sure that you're, you know, we all have our own sins, so you bring someone with you to make sure, hey, am I, am I okay here? Am I actually speaking truth here in love? And the two of you go to that person. If they're still obstinate, eventually that's told to the church. Eventually, rarely, they might be put under church discipline by your elders. If they're truly unrepentant, if they say, nope, this isn't sin in my life, or I don't see it, or I don't care. And eventually, sadly, very rarely, someone might even be excommunicated. As we say, unrepentance is the only excommunicatable sin it's really catchy. <laughs> but really, it, 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 any sin, the, the most horrendous sin, if someone repents and turns to Christ and is broken by it, that sin isn't going to lead to discipline or, 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 um, or excommunication. But someone who digs in their heels eventually is, is showing themselves to not be behaving like a Christian. When there's Faithful believers coming around them saying, brother, I, I, sister, I need you to see this. We, we, we see it. We want to love you. We want to see this change. And so just know, again, it, 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 
even, even if there's a situation of, of unrepentance. But what about in your heart? Or what about if there's someone in your life who you just don't even have the opportunity, whether, sadly, they've already passed away or they're an unbeliever or someone that lives far away? What, what is Jesus teaching? Here, it specifically mainly has to do with when a brother you know, sins, when a sister sins, the obligation we have to one another. But I think this also has to do with our own heart. Are we ready to forgive? Are we, are we at the wings, waiting, ready, <laughs> eager to forgive? Or are we at the wings, ready to hold on to it bitterly, to write it on the dirty whiteboard and trace it over and over and over again? I think Jesus' words here can speak to the freedom that can come when we look to the cross and say, I, Except by the grace of God go I. He forgave me. I need to let go of this, even if I don't have an opportunity to pursue it to the full. As you can see, forgiveness is not easy. But lastly, forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is not optional. And that last parable, very interesting, right? A master and a servant. Um, again, Jesus isn't speaking of or condoning you know, certain social structures. He's using it as a parable and saying, the master doesn't, you know, come in and, and, and have the servant come in and say, you eat first, servant. In fact, let me get you some food. <laughs> I know the servant is meant to serve the master, and then afterward the servant can eat. And he ends by saying, um, yeah, does the master thank him because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Remember in verse 4, Jesus commands you. You must forgive. Uh, forgiveness, although it's not easy, and although because of, our, um, because of who we are, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a command. It's not an option. And, and when someone forgives someone else, it's not a, it doesn't make them a superhero. <laughs> although we can celebrate stories of forgiveness and and. and powerful ways that should inspire us to do the same. Uh, but Christian, in your life, if, if you've written a name down on your piece of paper, it, it, this isn't something you should be weighing out. <laughs> you know, should I pursue this person? I don't know. Or, or thinking that, oh man, if I forgave them, that would really show me to be a really forgiving person. <laughs> I wish they were here to hear this sermon. <laughs> No, it wouldn't make you a superhero because it depends on, on, on the faith that he's increased anyway. Uh, it, it's not as if, you know, when we're, we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit that are given to each member of the church, it's not like some of us are gifted in forgiveness and others not, <laughs> you know. This is a calling of every Christian to be ready to forgive those in our life. It is not optional. It is not optional. So Christian, why do you think that you're exempt? Is it because it's too difficult? We don't want to brush over that. We've already said it's, it's extremely difficult. Is it because the other person is hard to talk to? Is it because they don't seem very repentant at this stage? What is it for you? that makes you think this text applies to other people, but not you. Christian, you must forgive. 
because Jesus forgave. And, and we see throughout the New Testament the linking of the two. We forgive one another because Christ Jesus has forgiven us. We tend to be stingy with our forgiveness, but we want his forgiveness to be unlimited as it is for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. But you can see the, dis, the discontinuity. When Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of his people, his forgiveness was not weak. It was not shallow. He didn't cry out from the cross, it's okay, but it is finished. He paid our debts to the full. So that his forgiveness is not weak, but it is strong. His forgiveness is not harsh. It softens our hearts. It draws us into relationship with God the Father. His forgiveness is not stingy, but unlimited for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So that the most heinous sin or the most habitual sin can find forgiveness in him. Even when we confess for the seventh time that day to him. His forgiveness was not easy to accomplish as he sweat drops of blood, as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to purchase your forgiveness? And forgiveness for Jesus was not optional in the sense that he came to do the will of his father. He didn't debate whether he wanted to offer forgiveness to you as one who belonged to him before the foundation of the world. He came and did it with joy. And so Jesus looks to you today and says, Christian, you must forgive because I've forgiven you. A couple named Cindy and Clark went to their pastor, uh, Paul, for marriage counseling. Uh, Ken Sanday tells this story. He's done a lot of work in a ministry called Peacemakers. And uh, he works with groups and Christians to, to help them reconcile. And he tells the story of, of Cindy and Clark going to their pastor, Paul, for marriage counseling. Somehow, in the course of the marriage counseling, um, they came to the d- decision together that what would help this couple would be to put up their child for adoption. And lo and behold, that the pastor's daughter-in-law would be the one to adopt the child. It's a good start. Sometime later... Cindy and Clark changed their minds and said, no, this is our child. We, we want them back. And so they uh, asked uh, for the address of, of the new family. The pastor didn't give it to them. They eventually appealed this up through different levels of the church courts. Um, eventually, they uh, filed a $200 million lawsuit against their pastor, their church, their denomination, Litigation dragged on for three years, requiring them to exhaust their savings. Uh, This could have been a movie. It led eventually to an attempted kidnapping in North Dakota on the part of Clark and Cindy. This is where Ken Sanday and his team came in to help resolve. He describes describes nine different parties and four attorneys gathering for four days to talk through this and try to... uh, come to reconciliation on this? Well, after some time and looking at similar scriptures to what we've looked at this morning, Clark, the father, on the fourth day, asked if he could speak first. 
Rising to his feet and choking back tears, he admitted that his failures as a husband and father four years earlier had set the stage for this tragic situation. He also said that he and Cindy had decided to drop their lawsuit and trust God to guide the church leaders to make whatever restitution they thought was necessary. But lastly, he said that they had decided to stop fighting to regain custody of their daughter, who they realized had been loved for four years by this adoptive family, um, and, and, and they wanted to support uh, that placement. There was a gasp of relief and a wave of tears when that adoptive couple realized that they would be able to keep their child. When things calmed down, uh, the pastor, Paul, he got up from his feet, he went over and knelt down, and, and Ken says he, he gave one of the most raw and profound confessions that he's ever heard. And the couple offered him forgiveness. Uh, and then the denominational leader got up and went over and went on his knees and confessed uh, the church's role in, in being negligent and, and not following up and not doing what they needed to do. Uh, Ken says that there were so many people crying in the room that he had to call a recess. <laughs> Uh, and so they, they, they go out, and one of the, uh, one of the legal uh, counselors, who was, who was not a Christian, uh, he saw him kind of standing by the window, and he could tell by his shoulders that he had been crying. And uh, Ken came up to him and put his hand on his shoulder and said, you know, are you okay? And the man turned around and said, what is going on in that room? What is happening? Because I've never seen anything like this. There's a power in that room right now. What if that could be said of our church? What is going on there? We don't see this. What did Jesus say? We're about to get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. On that last night, he said, A new commandment I give you, to love one another. And this is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. And how does that love bear out? In many ways, but it bears out in our willingness to forgive one another because he's already forgiven us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and that it cuts to the heart, but it also heals and bandages up our wounds. And so, Lord, I pray if there's any root of bitterness in us that you would root it out I pray that there would be powerful reconciliation in this church body. I pray that we would each experience the freedom that's found when we receive and when we give forgiveness in in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.